Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. So this idea of building a beloved bhakti community, I think is an interesting topic for all of us, and I wanted to take it in three sections. First of all, building a community an internal community of the different disparate voices within me, building a community between myself and the immediate others in my life, and then building a community in the world as a global citizen. So I wanted to take it from three perspectives. So first of all, I want to tell you something about myself. I'm driving a really old Toyota Prius. It's got, I think, 135,000 miles on it, which is really a lot. And so at this point, this car needs some parts. It needs some work. And so we went to a mechanic, and he was telling us which parts we needed. But he was saying, but you're not going to put really junky parts in this car, are you? Because you have to, if you really want good mileage and you want it to last, you have to put first-class parts in the car, not junk parts. And so that, I was really thinking about that as a sort of a metaphor for community because, you know, if each one of us is a little cog in the wheel or a little component of community, um, if I lack vision, if I lack wisdom, how can I help to build an authentic community? So that's what I was thinking about. So what do you think? Um, what about you? Can someone offer a word? What would, maybe you can just shout out, what would, give, give me a word, what would a beloved bhakti community look like to you? Anyone want to offer something? Compassion. Compassion. Very good. Inclusiveness. What? Inclusiveness. Perfect. Thank you. Great. Respect. We have the young voices asking for respect. Respect not only for the old people, but for the young people, right? Respect for the animals, for everyone. What else? Love. Love. And someone else said something? What? Humbleness. Great. Great. So first of all, let's define our terms. What, first of all, beloved bhakti community, what do we mean by, um, what's bhakti? So bhakti, the word bhakti, bhakti yoga, comes from the Sanskrit word, word bhaj, which means to share, to join together. It's relational. So Srila Prabhupada translated bhakti as devotional service or love in action, Bhakti is defined by uh, Ramanujacharya as upasana, or meditation, that's been saturated with priti, or love. So I like to think of bhakti as a kind of a thaw of the frozen heart, the beginning of a thirst for knowledge, for wholeness, for connectivity. So let's look at this building a bhakti, beloved bhakti community, and let's take it in the three parts. So this, um, yeah, first of all, the voices within myself, the community between myself and others, and then my worldview as a global citizen. So first of all, it begins with me, right? 
um, my changing mind, my senses that are always trying to grab at things, trying to align, trying to collect all the voices within me into one voice, a community of one with one purpose. This is yoga. This is what yoga is all about, a single-pointed intelligence versus a many-branched intelligence. So in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna has a very pivotal verse where he says he defines this kind of single-pointed intelligence. He says, Vyavasayatmika buddhi ekeha kurunandana bahusaka hyanantascha buddhayo vyavasayinam. Those who are on this path are resolute in purpose and their aim is one, while the intelligence of those who are irresolute is many-branched. So, so bhakti is a kind of, it's a yoga in action, a yoga of relationship, a yoga of gratitude to our source. Bhakti is a way of seeing, serving all living beings, as, as we are all connected to the supreme divine person who we call Krishna. So... Yes, and then where did, this, where did I get this beloved community? I love that term. It was first coined by an American philosopher, Hosea Royce, but it was often used by Dr. Martin Luther King, this idea of beloved community. And during the civil rights movement of the 1960s, um, Dr. Martin Luther King started this nonviolent civil disobedience movement, so at that time, there was an ordinary church lady, just like here in our temple. We have so many, we could say just ordinary temple ladies, right? So she was just an ordinary church lady. Her name was Fanny Lou Hamer. So she was an ordinary lady in an extraordinary time, and she began to organize and teach the community to respond to racism and respond to police brutality by singing what they learned in church, really, singing sacred praise music, and, um, and people's hearts were being transformed by this um, sacred praise music. And you can watch on YouTube, if you want to look it up after this class, you can pick it up on YouTube. You can see people going limp and being dragged off to jail, smiling, nonviolent, singing praise to God, and their hearts being transformed through sacred sound. It's really quite amazing. So she and these other so-called ordinary church ladies, they created this beloved community under the most extraordinary circumstances. And sometime after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, someone was sort of musing that we really need another Dr. Martin Luther King. But somebody else said, no, we don't. What we really need is an army of Fannie Lou Hamers. That's what we really need. We need an army of these ordinary church ladies if we're going to transform the world. So I thought that was so beautiful. So let's go back and focus on this community of voices within me, right? The inner personal community. So as I was saying in the beginning, if I'm a part, and community will be built of tiny parts like me, all the cells and the amoebas, my head, my heart, my legs, my arms, and ultimately I, the soul, the atma within. Um, I, you know, Bhagavad Gita calls the atma or the soul the master of the city of nine gates. So the body is a city of nine gates. And I, the atma, am supposed to be the master, not serving all of those nine gates that are pulling me in every direction, right? 
So I think we have to begin by looking at the woman in the mirror. Look at the man in the mirror, right? If I have greed, if I have anger in my heart, the community that I build is going to have the same kind of defects, right? So, um, yeah, we're all little microcosms in, a, in the macrocosmic world. And if we're going to build something, we have to transform our consciousness so that the community, community we build will not be full of my own faults. So what do I mean by that? So if you think about it, first we, have to, we want to build community. We have to, first of all, overthrow the evil dictator of false ego that's taken over the throne of my heart, right? There's this evil dictator that's taken over. And just like Mao Zedong in the so-called not very cultural, cultural revolution, he had a gang of four. So in our hearts, we have a gang of six. And they are lust, anger, greed, illusion, envy, bewilderment. This is the gang of six that this evil dictator has that's taken the throne of our hearts. So there's such a thing we, we call false ego, which means I'm the center. The world is meant for me to manipulate, to control for my personal plans of how I want to use it, right? Or, or how I want to enjoy the people and things of this world. But then, and this is something beautiful in the bhakti tradition that a lot of other people in other traditions don't necessarily know, that there is a real and an authentic ego. And that's when we realize that I'm sacred, I'm a worthy part of the whole, meant to serve the whole, and all living beings who are also parts of the whole and just as beloved as I am, right? Bless you. So yeah, we, I'm a, I, you, we're beloved parts of the supreme whole, that divine source we call Krishna. So that rightful throne of the heart belongs to that original divine person, the supreme masculine, Sri Krishna, and the divine sacred feminine, Sri Radha. So it starts with my personal practice. First, I have to try to transform my own consciousness before attempting social change, right? You get my point, right? So if we want to practice bhakti, there are four things that begin with an S. This makes it easy to remember, right? So there's sadhana, our own personal daily practice that's meant to be transformative. We're meant to be praying to Krishna, please, Clean my heart. Let me chant your holy name. Engage me in your service. So sadhana, personal practice. Then there's satsang, which is what we're doing right now. It's a, it's a um, coming together with other holy people who want to hear, who want to transform their, themselves and their lives. So satsang, it's associating with holy people. But you could say a gang or a kartal is also a type of a community, right? So we have to choose our communities very carefully. Then there's seva, doing service. What can I do? You, you want to love someone, you, wanna, you ask, what can I do? How can I please you? When we come before the deity, we should ask Radha Madan Mahan, what can I do to please you today? What can I do? So then there are two more. So that's seva. And then sadachar, sainly going out into the world with righteous behavior, behavior that's been transformed by the three S's that came before. Of course, then we have Srimad Bhagavatam, we have spiritual master. There's so many things that start with S, right? But these four that I mentioned, sadhana, sadhu sangha, seva, 
sadachar. This is a, a foundation in which we can build a strong community. So, um, yeah, building a beloved bhakti community is a type of a revolution of consciousness. And it begins by trying to come to this place of humility, to build a community without envy, where, um, you know, if I see pride sitting in my heart, I want to cry, I want to ask Krishna to help me get rid of it, you know? Yeah, so... So... I heard Prabhupada give an example once in Boston. It was so beautiful. He talked about throwing rocks in the, into a pond. If you, anyone ever tossed pebbles into a pond? If you throw, you've done that? Yeah. If you throw a pebble into the center of a pond, you get these beautiful concentric circles that radiate out from the center. But if I throw mine here and you throw yours there, and that will have all these clashing patterns, right? So um, if my center is off, and your center is off, we'll have so much interference. But my, if my center is my false ego, my group, my community, my little God project, and yours is your little God project, then we're going to clash in society on every level. So when we lose our connection to the source, it's like, it's like being a tiny screw that's thrown in the street, or we, I use the term cog in the wheel. So if, if you have an important piece of machinery, like your computer, it has certain tiny parts, right? If you take one out, throw it in the street, in the street it looks like useless, right? But when you go back to your computer, it won't run without that little tiny piece. So it's, a, I think, a beautiful metaphor. So it's like we have a spiritual amnesia. We don't know who we are, what our purpose is. And this is our dilemma, and this is where bhakti um, begins, right? To build a community without envy on three levels. So I've talked a little bit about voices within myself. What about the um, community between myself and my immediate others? So if we look at Nectar of Instruction, the um, beautiful 11 verses from Rupa Goswami, actually the first verses, he really talks about um, purifying that internal community within myself. But then he has another verse, it's verse number four, where he talks about the six exchanges of love, of love between devotees. And in one place, Srila Prabhupada said that this is the purpose for which he formed the ISKCON Society, to create a forum for exchanging these six loving exchanges. Anybody know what any of those six loving exchanges are? Do you, someone want to say one? Six loving exchanges between devotees. Yes. What? Exchanging gifts. Okay, so that would be giving a gift, receiving a gift. That would be two. Yes. Nice exchanging confidential, inquiring confidentially or hearing someone reveal their mind confidentially. That's another two. What else? What's the third one? Prashadam, right? We love, okay, we, the talk should be short, but then we can get to the main thing, the prashadam, right? Okay, so, then, so there's six. Offering and giving prashadam. So yeah, so these four components. There's another four components of building bhakti community that I think are beautiful. That um, are, were given by um, His Holiness Bhakta Tirtha Swami, a very brilliant um, community builder and innovative um, social revolutionary. And he said, here's four given from him that I think are very important. He was a great community builder. He said, first of all, Treat everyone as if the success of your spiritual life depends on the quality of your interactions with them. 
Imagine that. That's so beautiful, so sacred. Such a sacred interaction. Second, reflect on the person that you love the most. Like maybe your Guru Maharaj, maybe it's your husband or your wife or your baby. Reflect on the person you love the most and treat everyone with that same quality of love. The third one is, view all conflicts as your own fault first and a chance for growth to clarify your perceptions and to create synergy. But I wanted to have a little caveat here. Never allow yourself to be abused. If you feel like you're in an abusive situation, then speak to someone you trust and get help because abuse should never be tolerated, right? So, and then the, the last one is when you realize that people in our present environment may be those with whom you'll live out your life and will be with you at the time of death, treat them in such a sacred way. I mean, just imagine these are the people we're living with. These are the people we love. These are the people that are going to be helping us to remember Krishna at the time of death. How important is that, right? So I wanted to tell you that my friend Kunti, who's here, she's from Ethiopia, and she told me once, she's a very dear friend, and she told me once that in Ethiopia, when someone is having trauma or there's been some dysfunction in the family or in their life, some, maybe some drug abuse or some problem, some something, maybe, maybe someone passed away, she's told me that the whole community will actually physically, literally physically gather and surround that person and hold them. Isn't that beautiful? I just thought that was so profound. So that, so that the community support is so palpable, so real. So yeah, in the, um, in the material culture, we have an achieving culture. Everyone wants to get position and get stuff. And bhakti is really more of a receiving culture. Um, and um, and we, want to, pe we want people in our community to not be isolated because isolation creates fear. People feel unseen and unheard. That's no good, right? So a beloved bhakti community, we would... Um, we would not fail, and we would not allow people to feel isolated like that. We, um, and I think to feel intimacy in community is not a small thing. Sometimes there's so much posturing, and we forget to, that we're just human beings, and we all have faults, and we all have problems. I wanted to mention something really interesting that someone told me. That a, This is an interesting fact. You know porcupines? They, I guess they live in India, which I found out yesterday. But um, they also live in Siberia, where it gets really, really cold. And in Siberia, when it's so cold, the porcupines all snuggle together to, for warmth. But what happens if porcupines snuggle together? <coughs> They're going to get poked, right? So that's kind of a metaphor for community, too. You know, We try to snuggle together, build community, and sometimes we get poked also. So we have to... Be forgiving and understand we're all human and, and, and um, we're all just trying. So yeah, so what about the third component? Um, building a world community, being a global citizen, acting in the world as a global citizen. So when I think about that, I think that that has two aspects. One, to, to learn to see with equal vision. Bhagavad Gita um, teaches us samadarshana to try to see with equal vision. And I was thinking of Prabhupada's introduction to Nectar of Devotion where he says that 
the light beam of our love should expand, just like a, the, the beam of our love should expand, just like a beam of light expands. Isn't that such a beautiful metaphor that Prabhupada gives? So seeing the same spirit spark in every living being, even the non-humans, even the earth, and then the, again, quintessential verse of Bhagavad Gita, the um, humble sage sees with equal vision a learned and gentle Brahmin or a teacher, a cow, an elephant, a dog, and a dog eater or someone who's outside of the Varnashram, right? So if we want to see like that, it begins by hearing. To see with equal vision, by hearing we become aware, we become trained to see the spirit spark that animates the bodies of all living beings. So I was thinking about the United Nations. They have the Declaration of Human Rights, right? But it falls short. Why just human rights? Why focus on only humans, right? Why are we speciesists? What about um, the animals also? So if we try to see the same atma, the same self within all living beings, to include all the animals, to include the earth, this kind of inner change, inner vision can reverberate to create change in the world. So there's a great teacher. His name was Raimundo Panikar. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He was a Roman Catholic priest. His mother was a Roman Catholic, and his father was a Hindu from India. His father was a freedom fighter during the um, uh, period of Gandhi. And he um, said something very wise. He said, the future lies not in big towers of power, but in well-trodden paths from house to house. Isn't that nice? Neighbors helping neighbors. So beautiful. So Gandhi said something wise. The seven sins. Gandhi was very focused on social action, right? So he, the seven sins, according to Gandhi, he said, number one, wealth without work. Number two, pleasure without conscience. Three, knowledge without character. Four, commerce without morality. Five, science without humanity. Six, worship without sacrifice, right? Krishna recommends sacrifice in Bhagavad Gita. And seven, politics without principle, right? So we don't see this so much in the world today. So you might think, well, yeah, this is all impossible. This doesn't exist in the world. So, but the tide may be going strongly in one direction, but we can work to create persistent eddies, right, going in the other direction, we can try to practice what we hear and act as awakened, compassionate people. So the second aspect I wanted to mention of this worldview, acting as a global citizen, would be in Sanskrit, icha, that I always have a choice, right? How to respond to any given situation. So the world situation may look bleak, as it really does in many ways today, and there, but there's always been evil, and there's always been those, there have always been those who choose to respond in a different way. Here's a quote from Viktor Frankl. Um, I don't know if any of you have read his wonderful book, A Man's Search for Meaning. Meaning he was a psychiatrist who was put in a concentration camp during World War II. And he said, the one thing you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. He said, the last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. He said, they may be few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything 
can be taken away from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude to any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And Mother Teresa said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Isn't that beautiful? So a few thoughts on, let me just recap. First of all, communi building community within, within myself, bring all those different voices together, desires within myself to act as one in yoga. Second, community within my immediate people I interact with, four exchanges of love, four principles of community building by Bhakti Tirthaswami. And third, how, how can we act as a global citizen? Samadarshan, equal vision, and icha. I always have a choice. I always am able to respond, response able. I'm always able to respond in the way that I choose to any given circumstance. So thank you very, very much. Hare Krishna. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions, Gauravani? Here you go, Gaur. Oh, Hare hey, Krishna. Bo. Thank you for your beautiful, deep class. Um, I have a question. Uh, I've, I've heard two different extremes expressed from time to time. One is kind of like a humanist perspective, which is, you know religion and all of these kind of lofty esoteric ideas are impractical it really is just about people and how they deal with each other and just being nice and that's all we can do that's on one side mm -hmm. um, and then on the other side I've heard kind of sometimes very religious people will say this world is a place of suffering it's meant to be a place of suffering and therefore I'm just going to be spiritual and let all those who are not religious or spiritual suffer their karmas so I guess my question is how do we bring this into action in reality when we see that this world is a place of difficulty and suffering and it's not the spiritual world what can we actually expect to achieve with all of our life's work in community building will we actually ever be able to achieve these ideas that you've presented thank you very nice question yeah, Krishna certifies in Bhagavad Gita that this place is Dukalayam Ashashvatam. It's a place of suffering and it's a temporary place. Even if we think, I'm going to tolerate all the suffering, still we can't stay here. Still we at some point have to leave this world, right? So that's a very important point. Um, but also Krishna loves every one of his beloved parts and parcels. And anyone who can relieve suffering in those beloved parcel, parts and parcels. I mean, ultimately, by giving them spiritual insight, I think um, that's the most profound. That's what we learn from Srila Prabhupada. Try to alleviate suffering by giving spiritual knowledge, having people hear the holy name, hear some thoughts from Bhagavatam, and then we can actually awaken compassion and actually um, walk this world as awakened, compassionate people. Um, because I think if we take a humanist attitude or an isolationist attitude, I'm just going to care about me. I mean, some, there's some, I, was just in, um, I was just in Greece, and there's Mount Athos, where there are 400, four, I think there are 40 monasteries, hundreds of monks that are there just meditating and praying. Some of them are in caves. 
So some of them in very powerful ways, like perhaps Haridas Thakur, are praying for the upliftment of the world. So we can't dismiss that. That's also a part of trying to uplift the world in an internal way. But I think if we're just arbitrary and we take a humanist view, then at any moment that arbitrary feeling can, well, I have to think for myself. I have to look out for number one. And if we're not thinking that I'm a part of the divine whole and I have to act as a beloved part and reach out and try to see the way Krishna sees, try to see the way Krishna sees all these living beings as beloved, I think that's uh, really, really important. Um, yes, you have a question. Uh, Mataji, thank you so much for this open eyes class today because we really need that. Um, I want to add something that if we understand as a humans, if we understand that we are part of God, in this case Krishna, and we realize that we're here for, for, for a purpose and we don't defer each other for where you were born or who you are, what color you are, or what kind of language you speak. Uh, if we center our mind in realizing that we belong to him, there will be no differences in understanding our existences. And then uh, as a second point, in, in order to create a community with each one of us care for each one of us, okay? Uh, another thing is, these differences, is, it's made out of political situations or, or convenience of others to make difference in the human part in order to divide everybody and create their own right. uh, realities. Right. But I do believe that if we as a whole believe and we are part and parcel of Krishna or God in this case, uh, we need to understand that whatever we have, whatever we see, whatever we feel, it's just a matter of senses that he gave us in order to use it for the right purpose and not for satisfying our senses. Nice, beautiful. I mean, ultimately, you know, when you think about it, we're all refugees, right? We're all refugees, unless you're a 100% Native American person. You know, they're the original people of, of the America, right? They are not refugees. But ultimately, we're all refugees from the spiritual world. We've left Krishna's shelter. We've left the shelter of the spiritual world. And now we have to really cry and, and see how to go back with compassion. With, and if, we're, if we commit um, injustice to other people, then Krishna is not pleased. And, and um, that, that suffering will come back to me also. Yeah, someone else have a question or a thought? Yes. Namaste. Namaste. I just want to say thank you so much for holding this space. This is my first time here. Oh, welcome. So, what's your name? Thank you. My name is Jasmine. Jasmine, what's your name? Askia. Askia? Welcome. You're very enthusiastic. He wants to talk, sing. Okay. <laughs> Can you say I'm Hare? In the temple. You're in the temple. Can you say Hare Krishna? So, Hare. I want to stay here. I want to go back to Portland and eat something. <laughs> well, you know, right after this, there's going to be a really yummy lunch, so you might want to check it out. You might like it better than Chipotle. <laughs> you might. Anybody else have a question or a thought? 
Oh, one second. I yes. Oh. oh, Karen. Oh, sorry. You. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to add to everyone that if we just start seeing the divinity in everyone, um, we'll get to that sweet nectar place that we're all literally everyone is longing for that. So beautiful. I'm just. It's a blessing to be in your presence. Thank you, Jasmine. Thank you so much. So for glad you're here. Me. Come back. Oh, I will. This is this is your home. Come back. I wanted to tell you this um, really nice um, metaphor also about um, about you know you notice did you ever notice rocks river rocks when the river is flowing and the rocks that are in the river they kind of are really smooth and shiny from being tossed in the river. That's kind of a metaphor for community also. If you look at the one that's on the bank, isolated on the dry bank, it's kind of really sharp, you know? So that's another metaphor, that sometimes in community we get tossed and we get smoothed out and we get shiny and smooth from, from living in, and serving in community. So thank you all so much. Hare Krishna. Other questions, comments? Okay. Hare Krishna Mataji, thank you for your nice lecture. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, I mean, you, you, you talked about three aspects of community building and internal uh, local communities and mm -hmm. then global, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so you focused about uh, purifying ourselves. So is that like a stepwise thing? Like, I feel like I'm not, I'm, I'm very neophyte and I'm not pure enough. So like, um, should I engage in like building a community at all? Of or course. Like just it all has nice to be city? simultaneous. Because first of all, when you, when you think about it, if, I, if I'm trying to purify myself, it's really even, first of all, it's a partnership between myself and divine grace, right? That if I want to purify myself, I have to beg for Krishna's help. Once I heard Gauravani give a great example in a kirtan. Gauravani is very down to earth. So he, I, he said, he said it's purifying the heart is kind of like scrub bubbles. Anyone ever heard of scrub bubbles? It's apparently some kind of a cleaning project, I mean product, that you pour on. And they say, it does all the work. All you have to do is pour it on, right? So if we want to purify ourselves, that even that is in community with, with divine grace. We're asking Krishna, he's the real one who's cleaning the heart. We're just trying to be like co-pilots, trying to be co-cleaners, right? Imagine that, the supreme Godhead taking the lowest job of being a garbage man inside my heart. Wow. Isn't that merciful? So merciful. You know, once I met a garbage man, he was telling me, I don't want to do this job anymore. I smell like garbage all the time. I really don't like it. Imagine Krishna. You know? Anyone else have another thought or question about being a garbage man or <laughs> community? Yes, Karen. Oh, here we go. Uh, wait, my Pacharya oh. Prabhu has. So, thank you so much for the wonderful class, Mother of Mini. It's wonderful to have your association again. So just to kind of follow up with what Gora asked, and you were talking about being a humanist versus, um, I guess, a spiritualist. Or and an isolationist. He was kind of talking yeah. about being isolated. Yeah. So I define humanist as someone who's concerned with the human needs, food, water, shelter, security. So um, 
these aspects of existence that we all have to deal with, these are also things that spiritualists are involved in addressing. Is that right? Yes. But I just don't want us to limit ourselves, as I mentioned, the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. So to me, that's limiting. Why only human rights? What about the animals? Prabhupada would talk so often about the animals are also citizens. You know, so yeah. we should, and, and again, this example that Prabhupada gives that the, the beam of lo- light of our love, the beam of our love should expand like a beam of light expands. Isn't that so profound? To include all living beings. How beautiful. Yeah. You know? So I meant to say, not just humans, but also care about the, those physical demands for all living entities. That's what I mean to say. So this is also a concern of the... Um, Spiritualist or transcendentalist? I believe so. Otherwise, we're just isolationists. We're living in a vacuum. You know, if I don't um, see another person suffering and try to alleviate that suffering according to my ability, I mean, what are the skill sets we have? Whatever you you do in this life, you know, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're an engineer, maybe you know, maybe you can help an old lady across the street. Maybe you can. Maybe when you hear a siren. You can pray for the person who's obviously suffering. But I mean, ultimately, what does Prabhupada say? Try to give some spiritual knowledge, right? If we ask Palika, he'll say, hey, get out on Harinam and, um, you know, give the ultimate panacea of all medicines, right? The holy name, give, give someone, try to help the, the soul within the coat of the dying man. But we can't also ignore the coat, Right? You know, like you're an anesthesiologist, right? So you can't say to the guy who comes in for surgery to say, hey man, you're not this body, you know? Let it go. (laughs) Just let it go. Remember that you're the soul. Just let it go. I mean, I remember Braj Bihari Prabhu talking about how when he went in for surgery, he had heart surgery, very serious heart surgery. Madhvacharya Prabhu came and visited him there before the surgery. And his association was so soothing and so calming for Brajabihari Prabhu, right? Before going in for that surgery. So just imagine such a holy person in such a pivotal position in the world before someone goes in for surgery. Here's Madhvacharya calming them down, probably praying for them, trying to give them some prayer to help them come closer. It's, It's all important, you know? You know, and there's so many stories about Prabhupada like that. How much time do I have? You know, there's, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Oh, I was, I'm so concerned about being within the time limit. You know, um, there's so many stories about Prabhupada. There's a nice story in Vrindavan. There was a devotee sitting there. It was cold, and the devotee was sitting there without any warm chatter. And Prabhupada said to the person who was in charge, the temple president, he said. He said, you're in charge here. Don't you see this person, this devotee is under your care. Why don't you make sure that they have a warm cheddar to wear in the wintertime? You know? And then he said, he is a Vaishnav. He won't ask. But it's your job to make sure. You know? So we shouldn't be so... Um, you know the term Dharma Dvaja? Like a great 
waving the flag of dharma. We shouldn't be such great dharma dvajis that we're waving the flag of dharma and we're so triumphant that we're spreading Krishna consciousness all over the world. Meanwhile, we trample people's human needs. You know? Anybody else? Karen, you have a question. Well, that's a beautiful talk. Um, just to add to that, I read some time ago these Shivites, whatever that is in India, were sitting on large nails on a bed. And I wondered how that happened. I read a little bit that their ego, which is the first thing you talked about, and their identity, they practiced such deep forms of meditation in caves and would come out that they had operations without any anesthesiology at all. Major heart. That always fascinated me. How could they put themselves in a state and handle their ego, I'm whatever it is, and not feel the pain? That's a mystery to me. But I want to just talk about your, the first part. I saw you were talking, and I thought about community, and I thought, it starts with us, doesn't it? What you mentioned, all these voices, all these conflicts, all these desires. There was a, a book, Werner Earhart did years of books about the ego. Mm -hmm. And he would have a class, and I, and I spent about a year in study groups about the ego. And so on one side, having, knowing who you are, where you're going, what to do to stay away from danger is important. Those are practical skills. The other dark side, and I'm going to quote this from Warner Earhart, the ego, not false ego, super ego, just the ego, has one goal, survival of itself, period. Survival of itself. And if you think about that or talk about it for a year in groups and all kinds of little exercises, it takes a big... It was, the first conversation was five hours on just that idea. So like in, in Africa years ago, when people would make a promise, like your word, if you didn't do it in a community, you didn't live up to your word, basically we're told to leave. It was taken that your word is very important. People go, oh, it's just, I said this, so we write contracts. It's beautiful. That's real community. So the, the other thing is, how do we, how do we, we have an image of, of who we are. We, it's, that's our ego. I'm, I'm a good person. I do this. Because I feel good helping. There's an ego to that. We say, oh, we're just doing it for love, but there's, there's some ego. How do you get behind that with deep sincerity? In other words, if the ego, its only job is the survival of itself, and yet we need it to live in the world, the other part is we have an image, oh, I'm a good person. So he had us read this book called We All Lie. You go, what? We all lie. We make a rationalization about why we do stuff and who we are, and it's not examined. Let me, first of all, let's, let's go to the, the beginning and try to change our definition of ego, because in bhakti, we have a new definition of ego. We have a definition that I am part and parcel of Krishna. I am sacred, worthy, but very, very tiny. And I need to lean in to that big fire. I'm a little spark, and if I lean out, I'm going to grow dark and cold and isolated. But if I lean in, that's my identity. I'm a worthy, sacred part of that um, divinity. 
a serving part, a loving part. So that's a new definition of ego. So there's false ego, which is my non-self, all the, you know, the things I think I am. I'm a woman, I'm middle-aged, I'm American, I'm educated, I'm this, I'm that, you know, all that stuff. And then there's the real ego, who I really, really am. And this is something that some, some traditions don't really talk about that. So this is a special gift of the bhakti tradition. I mean, not, not exclusively. Christians also, I think, would understand this, or you know, monotheistic traditions would understand that. But um, in that African tradition, that was, that was considered, even though implied. I love what you you're, said you're about Your that. word, or yeah. for the community, or they actually... Not like a little thing, but if you broke a big word, they sent you away. It was, it was yeah, destructive. Yeah, it's beautiful. Let me just end. I think, I don't know if anyone, does anyone have any other questions? There's a nice metaphor. I think if you have another question, because I guess I'm allowed to go to two. But I wanted to give you another metaphor that's very beautiful. I don't know if you've heard this before, but the redwood trees out in California that are the tallest trees in the world, the oldest trees in the world, that li have lived through earthquakes, hurricanes, all kinds of storms. Believe it or not, they grow in very loamy soil and they have very shallow roots. How is that possible? That the tallest, oldest trees in the world who live through hurricanes and all that stuff have these shallow roots and they grow in this loamy soil. So apparently, as soon as the first little redwood is, sprout is born, it immediately wraps its roots around the other redwood tree roots so that every tree in the forest is directly or indirectly connected by community to every other tree. And in this way, they grow strong and tall and powerful. Isn't that beautiful? So we need this. We need to think like that. And yeah, you know, our words should be as good as gold. We have um, ideals like Yudhisthira in, in our literature. But building community, we need each other. We're all human and divine by nature, but we have, we're embedded in these human bodies and we forget, you know, we make mistakes. Anybody else have a question or a thought before we close up for another Sunday? Well, thank you all so very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.